Hey, this head Oscar Buzz listeners, we are here, Chris and me, to Hi. kick off this episode with a little bit of bonus content for your nerves. Um, we're going to be playing a game. You know how we love our games. You know how I love your stories, and you know how we love our <laughs> games. Um, we're going to be playing a game with our friends at Vulture. Uh, for the next several months, all the way through Oscar season. And you, Garys, need to be playing along with us. This is exactly it. We're going to invite you, Garys, to play along, along with the readers of Vulture and staff members of Vulture and and various people, with uh, a movie fantasy league game that is going to run all the way through award season. And I am here to tell you about it, and we're going to be providing updates for it Every week on this head Oscar buzz throughout Oscar season. Chris, I'm very excited about this. Joe, I am so excited about this. Will you tell us more about it? I will. Okay, so listeners, listen up. Have you been looking for a way to spend the next four months supporting your favorite films, doing basic math, and inevitably getting mad at awards voters? Lord knows I do. How dare the National Board of Review not recognize TAR? Exactly. Preferably in a gamified context that pits you against friends, fellow Vulture readers, uh, fellow This Had Oscar Buzz, Garys, uh, some of your favorite entertainment journalists, Chris, me, whoever. Good news, Garys, because Vulture is bringing back the Vulture Movies Fantasy League. They did this a couple years ago. It was very fun. Uh, and this time around, they let me help design it for awards season. So, you know, uh, that's pretty fun. You mean if- to say that this is partly masterminded by the one and only joseph reed it is i i i uh hesitate to uh stick my head in the lion's mouth and offer myself up for uh nitpicks and criticisms of course but you the know. lion of that mouth being of course lydia tar Yes, of course. Uh, Listeners, if you're at all familiar with fantasy sports, the concept is very similar. But if you're not, don't worry. It's very easy to grasp how it's all going to work. It has nothing to do with athletes at all, unless we're talking about, once again, Lydia Tarr. Um, Our team at Vulture have assembled a list of movies from 2022, some of which have already been released, a lot of which are opening in the next two months. And we've assigned all of those with a dollar value based on things like expected box office performance, awards potential, assorted other factors. So, for example, a movie like The Fablemans or Avatar The Way of Water or even an already opened but hugely Oscar-buzzed movie like Everything Everywhere All at Once, they're all going to be worth more than, say, a Man Called Otto, or Cha-Cha Real Smooth, or My Beloved Bones and All. All the bones will be uh, available for an uh, for economical price, I will say. Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, priceless. 100%. If you want to uh, put Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris on your roster, you will be fully able to do so. So, to play the game, you will have a budget of 100 fake dollars to put together a team of eight movies. There's obviously going to be some strategy at play. You won't have enough money to just load up your team with all the big guns. You can't just do Fablemans and Top Gun and Banshees of Inisherin and everything everywhere. You, you know, you're going to have to be smart about it. You'll need to mix and match between big ticket items and smaller little diamonds in the rough that you might think might uh, perform well either at the box office or in award season. Once so a few things... Some of the places, some of the time. Right, exactly, exactly. Uh, once you've selected your team, you can start to accrue points. The movies will score points based on a bunch of different categories, including but not limited to box office earnings, box office earnings from the point that you select on forward. You can't 
you know, go retroactively collect all of those sweet, sweet Top Gun dollars. We have already, that's already a known quantity. It's not, no fun guessing what's already happened. But uh, we'll also include Critics Awards prizes, precursors like the Golden Globes, the Independent Spirit Awards, Guild Awards, and then ultimately the Oscars. The whole contest culminates on Oscar night, and whichever team has accumulated the most points wins. What do you think you're asking? Yes. I'm sure obvious the aside from the obvious prize that everybody is gunning for here is an actual Oscar. Aside yes. from the actual Oscar that uh players of the game will win, yes. what else will they win? I mean, bragging rights are big. Obviously, uh bragging rights are the ceiling of what I who am absolutely going to be participating i can only win bragging rights because it would not be uh, kosher for me to compete for prizes but all of you all else bragging rights are big but also first place gets a tcl 55 inch 5 series smart roku television second place gets a stream bar and wireless base bundle which like nice work if you can get it right nice way to walk you would walk away from oscar night with the second coolest thing to a Best Actress trophy, I think, if you ask me. So, uh, not too bad, I will say. So, listeners, if you want to play, and really, honestly, you should, go to moviegame.vulture.com. From there, you can click a link to get the complete rules, including all of the ways you'll be able to earn points, all of the point values on all of the little things that will earn you points throughout the season, as well as a full list of available movies and their dollar values at an, uh, an overview of the scoring categories. And then when you're ready, you can draft a team. So listen, this is the important part. The window for participation opens on Monday, October 31st, and then slams shut on Monday, November 21st. So pick your team by then. It behooves you, I will say, to sign up early, since you can only accrue box office points for your selected movies on ticket sales that occur after you've submitted your ballot. So, for example, if you draft Black Panther Wakanda Forever before it opens on November 11th, you'll get points for its full box office performance the whole way through. If you select it, however, the week after it opens, you'll only accrue points based on its box office performance from that point on. So you'll miss the sweet, sweet, fat opening weekend money. Each Tuesday, the updated leaderboard will be available on Vulture. You'll receive a weekly newsletter from me, your good friend Joe Reed, uh, summarizing the big movies and events and developments of the week and how they affect the standings and then chris and i will also be talking about updates throughout the season right here on this head oscar buzz so chris i'm super excited i'm super jazzed i really hope the garys will all participate i'm excited to see who you pick because i know you are quite the competitive sort and so I, even with just bragging rights have already started rolling you are very yeah. smart to uh uh uh, deduce me as a strategic player so yes, yes i hope that the garys are also cracking their knuckles and in it to win it the most fun part honestly i've played fantasy football for the last like 15 years or so and the fun part of fantasy football is isn't necessarily like you know picking josh allen who's the bills quarterback and is the best player in football right now it's not Gary's like it's no idea what that means it's fine just agree with me it's um 
It's fun picking the best players, but like the real bragging rights comes from like picking that diamond in the rough who maybe was undervalued by some people, but really comes through. And there are going to be some movies that you're going to be able to pick up for $5 or $2 or even a bargain at at a dollar. And it's going to earn you some points throughout Oscar season. And it may prove to be the difference in the standings. So go check it out. It is moviegame.vulture.com. You can start choosing your teams basically now it opens on monday october 31st you're going to be listening to it by then and pick your team by november 21st and we'll all have a really extra fun time throughout oscar season get competitive get competitive you'll like it you'll love it you'll get into fantasy sports maybe i don't know no promises okay thank you for your time we'll be back here we'll uh, continue to provide updates like we said throughout the oscar season and enjoy the rest of this episode on mary House. No, the right house. No, I didn't get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. In the house of Dr. Henry Jekyll. Good morning, sir. There lived a chambermaid named Mary Riley. I feel safe here is all. I have decided to take on an assistant. His name is Mr. Edward Hyde, and I intend to give him the run of the house. Did you see his face? He came out of the dark like he was made of it. Most people are afraid of him, but you're not, are you? Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast under surveillance by the NSA. Uh, Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died and we're here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here as always with David Hasselhoff's Broadway Jekyll and Hyde standby, (laughs) Joe Reed. I wish I knew anything about that production so that I could come in here it's a wild with a lyric. Musical. You don't need to know a thing about or a it. song. It's trash. I always, I don't think it has anything to do with each. They have anything to do with each other. But whenever I am reminded that there was a Broadway Jekyll and Hyde, I always think of the Jekyll and Hyde novelty theme restaurant that is in Times Square. That I or Wait, was what? in Times Square. I don't know if it's still. I, don't know I can't imagine it survived the pandemic. Yeah, it was. There was for a moment a Jekyll and Hyde themed novelty restaurant in Times Square. Maybe that was the place that like Flavor Town took over, or whatever, or whatever the hell. Uh, um, Guy Fieri's uh, is Guy Fieri's restaurant not called Flavor Town because it really should be. Like, I mean, cast him as Jekyll and Hyde. Let's see what that is. Maybe truly what, is that hair? Is that hair? his Jekyll or his Hyde. So are we going to get a downshift or are we going to get even further into... Right. What is the baseline Guy Fieri personality? Right. Yeah. Minute to win it, Guy Fieri. Happy Halloween. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, happy Halloween. We have come back with a spooky season movie. Previous spooky season movies on our podcast have included uh, Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria. And what did we do before that? Jordan Peele's Us. Well, but not like for our Halloween. Episode. Not for Halloween. No, no, no. 
wasn't Hannibal previously like a Halloween? Halloween. I think that was like our first Halloween. I think that's right. As we were still figuring out what the hell we're doing. And we're like, we'll do a Halloween episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean. (laughs) Today we're kind of like, we'll do a Halloween episode. We've learned nothing. Um, The challenge is always that, you know, Oscar buzz for scary movies is always, always sort of comes after the fact of people liking something because, um, horror is not a genre that lends itself naturally to the Oscars. So uh, finding something that had a lot of pre-release buzz for a horror movie, you have to tend to go for something pedigreed like this, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, from the director of Dangerous Liaisons, and it's a great work of literature, and it's these two, you know, uh, you know, very fancy actors in uh, Julia Roberts and John Malkovich will get into the end product <laughs> of it all. Was this the first? I forgot to. I meant to look this up and I didn't. Um, was this the first reteaming of Stephen Frears with Christopher Hampton since Dangerous Liaisons? Had they? I mean, did he? Did Christopher Hampton write The Grifters? I don't think he did. He did not. No. Um, and so he wouldn't have written the not the hero hero. Um, and then there was that movie, The Van, that... Uh, not The Van. Not The um, Van. Um, there's a lot of... You look at... We'll, t- we'll get into... The, I want to get into the Stephen Frears filmography, because like it's really interesting, actually. For somebody who never seems to have a directorial stamp of any kind, mm-hmm. um, The Van was not Christopher Hampton. So this was the first reteaming of Frears and Christopher Hampton since the great success of Dangerous Liaisons. We'll also talk about his history with Oscar, too, which I have a feeling I know in what direction you want to talk it into based off of the group thread yesterday, the GC. Um, yes. We also want to talk about this movie because uh, we make fun of it a lot. Um, it, we do. We talk about it a lot. We've got our little Mary Riley whisper drop. And the whisper drop is uh, wait. One of can I tell you though? I had never seen this movie before. Oh, I watched really? It last night. I see, this I was feel a first. Like I'd seen it. On, okay. Like some type of TBS type of situation, but I'd never was, seen it. You know. Yeah. I was thoroughly unprepared. I sort of, I knew the plot of it going in. And I knew the vibe from like watching clips and trailers and stuff like that. There were elements of this movie that really took me by surprise. And (laughs) you mean you didn't expect um, John Malkovich to transform into Tommy Wiseau? (laughs) <laughs> the like fabio open shirtedness of it all <laughs> of john malkovich of john not even, malkovich not even that it's john malkovich and like we don't body shame on this podcast but kind of we like do a not. doughy john malkovich like he's not like a he's no gym body like for for better or worse and um Just also on the floor John Malkovich fully going to the Kevin Costner fuck it school of English accents in period films set in uh, set in England, where he was just like, I'm just not gonna. It's, it's, I'm just not. And meanwhile, Julia Roberts is like, I'm gonna like yeah. fucking crazy. Am I gonna? I'm gonna yeah. go for it. And um, we've said it before. I have at least, and I think you you would agree with this. Accent work is not the be-all and end-all of acting. I think a lot of times it gets outsized uh, 
attention in that way, which makes sense. Like, it makes a, all the sense in the world that that would be the grabbiest thing for attention. But it is not the be-all and end-all of acting. That said, <laughs> when it is when it is particularly That's some people shouldn't do a dialect. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. You must have really hated your father. I don't know, sir. Surely he was a monster. When I was little... And he was in work. He wasn't so bad then. It was the drinking that did it. Julia Roberts, when she like gets into her distinct Julia Roberts yell, you know, where she maybe leans into the third or fourth word of a sentence, and that's uh-huh. the big word, and then she has uh-huh. like seven other uh-huh. words to say. There was a moment in this that I was like, "That's an Aaron Brockovich line reading." Um, yeah. And Listen, fully Julia Roberts is a tremendous actress and one of the great movie stars in the history of film like one of the absolute best just stars most like quintessential movie stars ever she is somebody who is originally from georgia who cannot credibly do a southern accent like this is just (laughs) it's it's we all we have our strengths and our weaknesses even the best of us and accent work has never been julia's and we don't need it to be and i listen the other thing about mary riley is i'm fine with this being a bad movie mary riley being one of the worst movies i've seen in a very long time is great for me because i had a time with this movie i'm gonna tell you what i had a great time watching it too but i have to argue i don't think it's that bad like do you know maybe really boring Do you know that this movie got two thumbs up from Siskel and Ebert? (laughs) Not just one or the other, but both of them. Two thumbs up. I could not have been more gooped and gagged when I looked up that clip this morning, I will say. That is very funny. I will have to watch that. But once again, there's another viral Roger Ebert ebert clip going around going around being an utter savage and it's so good it's i haven't seen it yet but it's around. it's him not liking gladiator which puts him uh yeah full respect in our books for not liking gladiator um yes. okay not fully surprised i mean i don't think that this movie's there are several people embarrassing themselves in this movie, but I don't think that the movie is embarrassing. Okay. I will say there are atmospherics in this movie that work. I think the narrative ultimately feels uh, weak and yeah. repetitive and doesn't have dramatic or suspenseful beats to it like i feel like the rhythm of the whole thing is off i think the acting is poor pretty much throughout although um as you mentioned in our document sweet baby uh michael sheen is mm-hmm. um, little mom petted, more. Uh, tiny angel boy michael sheen is maybe like conceivably 19 years old in this movie. when we did the four feathers i remember thinking oh look at young michael sheen energetic little scamp michael sheen who's like <laughs> i was like oh it's like you know early stages this is a full four years before that and he is just a a a, a teenager basically teeny like tiny angel boy and and kind of a rascal, and I I wish we had seen a little bit more of him. Um, I'd wish we had seen quite a bit less of um, 
uh, deglammed Michael Gambon. And if you think that that feels like a strange thing to say, watch this movie because like it is Michael Gambon doing um, er, like uh, urchin drag, not even urchin. Like um, I don't know. A lot of drag in this movie. Um, Back back alley uh, uh, creepo drag for sure. Karen Um, Hines and possibly queer coded dandy drag. There's a lot. Glenn Close with a full Tammy Brown lip going on and a gold tooth. <laughs> Glenn Close as Tammy Brown as Glenn Close with matron. you know that you if I when I tell you Tammy Brown's lip outline, a picture comes into your head. And that just yeah. pasted on top of Glenn Close's face as Get she's Glenn giving Close in this movie to perform the Venga bus. Like <laughs> if you think like John Malkovich is on one in this movie, Glenn Close is on four. Welcome to Baroness one with a Bill Quaid and a Swami letter. Oh, the same, you better read it. Yotta had the courage to come here herself and clean up after that mad dog of his. He said there might be a reply. And so there might. Come with me. Like, she's just like... She knows what movie she's in, though. She knows she she's does. in a piece of trash, and she's mm-hmm. like, let's make this at least be a fun piece of trash. And every single line reading is this sort of sneering, like, it always comes around here, around 4, eh? Like, that mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just... One of wait, her wrote... incisors is gold. Like, mm-hmm. I, I wrote down the one... I could have written down every line of dialogue that she says. First of all, the Wikipedia page of memorable quotes from this movie concludes not a single quote by Glenn Close's Mrs. Faraday, which is wrong. wrong. Um, she's talking about Dr. Jekyll, and she says, you may ask for a few special services, but he doesn't mind paying top whack. Like, what does that mean? But like... Okay. But this whew. is also a movie that has all of these people in it, Adapted by Christopher Hampton, directed by Stephen Frears. Like, I think, and like a movie that made $5 million, even by 1996 standards, $5 million. Like, it, it's so bizarre that they're all there, and some of them are so, like uh like non-entities there are moments in the, in this movie where it feels like julia roberts is literally sucking the light out of the frame she is yeah. so like opaque um yeah downbeat yeah but it definitely shows like what the the expectations and standards were for this movie at least in terms of production i sure. think I, I kind of got on this thread, especially because I, you know, started with the Wild Horn musical reference or whatever their names are. They write bad musicals. Um, <laughs> the um, that Jekyll and Hyde, in terms of horror status, and like mm-hmm. in the '90s, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit. It feels like the C tier traditional, like often revisited monster movie. Like yeah. character or or origin, basically, in that well, he was like you can the guy you throw into, or you can make it trash. Yeah, he was the guy you throw into the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen to like round out the the cast or whatever, <laughs> right? Where it's like, eh, just throw in Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, why not? And yet, it's a role that's won someone an Oscar. Frederick March won his Oscar for or two, one of two Oscars for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, one of the many early versions of it. 
That's I had forgotten about that, but that's a that's that's what nineteen right. forties. When is that? When is that happening? I do believe. Yeah, uh, yeah. maybe it's the thirties. Yeah. I know that it happened. I just don't remember the. Year. No, listen. That was you're you're better than me for that. Um, um, I, it's probably the thirties, but also this is an era, and of course, Mary Riley maybe ends it and uh, is coming on the tail end of it, where you have these prestige revisitings of the monster movies. Like, mm-hmm. listen, give us the dark universe like this again, where it's like yeah. the movies are incredibly horny. They at least garner a oscar nomination in the you're thinking about mary shelley's frankenstein again aren't you uh, i'm always thinking about it but i'm also <laughs> definitely always thinking of bram stoker's dracula uh, bram stoker's dracula tremendous. which earns i believe four oscars mary shelley's frankenstein um gets an oscar nomination for the makeup it's incredibly gross it's incredibly horny i yeah. don't know what the critical reception of that movie is or the box office of it but like you know, I feel like critical that... reception was mixed, as I recall. But, like, don't quote me on that it. That sounds about right. Also, like, fuck you, Kenneth Branagh. We will avenge you, uh, Emma Thompson, even <laughs> though all parties involved have moved on. Whatever. I was going to say. Uh, if <laughs> listeners aren't familiar... If this g- is gay it. men will do nothing if they will not fight the battles of their faves long after the point 30 that their years, faves stopped you know, caring. Later. Yeah. Uh, that's when he had an affair with Helena Bonham Carter... On the set yes. of the movie, yes. abandoning Emma Thompson, we yes. don't blame Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> Queen. I loved uh, that also last season, there were still people coming out of the woodwork like, fuck Belfast and fuck Kenneth Branagh because he cheated on Emma This is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, there are, there are people still fighting World War II on an island in the Pacific who are less dedicated to a lost cause than gay men who stand... Uh, wronged women uh i don't know it's it's very funny um, you have those two movies very yes. prestigious movies movies that certainly made some type of money because mm-hmm. julia roberts salary for this movie is twice what the movie made at the box office <laughs> um and it's also we'll t- we'll get into julia but it's also at a time where the media is very much turning on her or mm-hmm. has turned on her yes yeah, this is this is actually towards the tail end of that period. That period that sort of starts with the Lyle Lovett marriage, the sort of um the Kiefer Sutherland left at the altar, marries Lyle Lovett, makes a bunch of movies that people mostly don't like, the your I love troubles, your Predaportes, whatnot. And then this Mary Riley comes in 1996 and by 1997 She's got my best friend's wedding. Also underrated part of that comeback was conspiracy theory, which I'm pretty sure made a pretty decent amount of money. Right. And all of a sudden it was like, Julia's back. And it had been like three years. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I'm excited. I'm excited to, to get further into this movie. Yes. Very much so. Ugh. There's just uh, so much. There's so much to dig into. There's so much. Uh, uh, I was going to say red meat, but truly it's, there's a lot of squirming (laughs) eel meat. Yeah, well, that too. Um, The eel scene to kick off this movie really sets it on a tone (laughs) where it's like, you know how like when people uh, pantomime with a baby and you pantomime 
like on stage or whatever and you pantomime I have sort seen of squirming, American Sniper, yeah. squirming around so you sort of like move your hands to make like the thing that you're holding uh Indeed. julia roberts holding the squid and then like moving her arms around so it'll like <laughs> squirm around or whatever is just it's very, very bella lugosi in ed wood movies you know <laughs> trying to pretend that he's being eaten by an octopus yes. Yeah. And then at one point she has a bad dream and the eel sort of like At one point she has a bad dream? No, one of her bad dreams, the eel sort of turns to face her and is like meep and it's it's (laughs) with like a like a beaker from the Muppet's mouth, just like it's it's something. It's really something, this movie. Oh boy. That was one repetitive thing, though relatable as someone who is going through a lot of personal stress right now and having nightmares on a nightly basis. Uh, I was like, same girl, but for a story, uh, uh, maybe introduce this information in a different way than yet another nightmare. Oh, God. Yeah. All right. Well, should we get into it? Let's get into it. Let's kind of set the stage, and then we're going to have Joe do his 60-second plot description. For listeners, we are here today on All Hallows' Eve to talk about Mary Riley. (laughs) Mary Riley, Mary Riley, Directed when he says it, when he says it in the movie, I was fully Leonardo DiCaprio image macro, or it's just like pointing at the TV, like, yes! I I was full like the people who give standing ovations to Nicole Kidman's <laughs> AMC ad. I was yes. I was saluting and also the hollering. television. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Laura says all the hooting and the hollering. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Harry Riley, directed by Stephen Frears, written by Christopher Hampton, adapted from the novel by Valerie Martin. The novel. Mary Riley, not the original source, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That's Robert Louis Stevenson, right? It's Robert Louis Stevenson. Yes, it is. So we're in Gregory Maguire territory. (laughs) We're at the shiz. Is that what you're saying? Is that what's going (laughs) on? I love when Julia Roberts gets to go to shiz. Uh, That's the Romy and Michelle uh, sequel. I just love when they let her go to shiz. Um, (laughs) Christopher Hampton, we'll get into it. Uh, the movie stars the one and only Julia Roberts John Malkovich, Gary Cole, Michael Gambon Kathy Staff, Kieran Hines uh, the aforementioned sweet tiny angel baby Michael Sheen and the one and only Glenn Close the movie opened wide in February, late February of 1996 I believe after being pushed from the previous season yeah and it promptly died Joe, did you happen to look up the box office on this movie besides the fact that it only made $5 million? I didn't. I didn't dig into it. The number one movie, the weekend that Mary Riley opened, was Rumble in the Bronx. You know, I know that because I watched The Siskel and Ebert with Mary (laughs) Riley. The Siskel and Ebert with Mary Riley was Rumble in the Bronx before and after the Meryl Streep Liam Neeson movie that also I can't imagine made any money because nobody liked it. Right. Um, Unforgettable, the Ray Liotta, Linda Fiorentino thriller, uh-huh. that kind of lost genre of like just a thriller with adults, just like that's all you need. <laughs> there were so many of them in the 90s. There are none of them now. Um, and what was the fifth one? Shit. I can't remember now, but uh, it was it was quite a weekend. Yeah, for sure quite a weekend one you could sum up in less than 60 seconds which joe will have to do for the motion picture mary riley if you are ready 
Yes, I just want to also add, though, that it's not Gary Cole who's in this movie, but George Cole. Gary Cole of uh, Office Space and Veep is not in this movie, although... um, Conceivably could be, though. Who who would know, George Cole. My apologies. I was typing too fast. Sorry to this man. My yeah. my demonic uh, autocorrect that I can't figure out how to yeah. turn off. Um, Joseph, if you're ready, you will have 60 seconds for Mary Riley. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Your 60-second plot description for Mary Riley starts now. What if the Dr. Jekyll we've all heard so much about had a maid, and she looked like Julia Roberts but sounded like one of the cores? Mary Riley is on staff in the employ of Dr. Henry Jekyll, and he tends to spend a little more time than with her than necessary, which is when he's played by John Malkovich, means a lot of leering glances and sibilant line readings. He's working on some big secret project, and one day he announces to the staff that he'll be bringing on an assistant, Mr. Edward Hyde. Hyde is long of hair and brutish of demeanor, and he fixes on Mary when he starts not taking evening strolls around town stomping on children and tearing up Glenn Close's whorehouse. Due to the killings happening around London, Jekyll declares that Hyde must disappear, only he doesn't, and he ultimately reveals to a horrified Mary that he and Jekyll are the same man. How it goes is, Jekyll injects himself with a serum and becomes Mr. Hyde. Hyde exercises Jekyll's toxic masculine id, and then Hyde injects antidote to turn back, only now Hyde doesn't want to turn back, only Jekyll forces him to, only Hyde has mixed poison with the antidote so they both end up dying, and Mary Riley walks into the hilarious London and fog and out of Robert Louis Stevenson's memory forever. That's you really kind of forget until the finale. The worst of this movie. ASMR. I, I apologize to anybody whose thing is ASMR because I think I might have ruined it for you forever. <laughs> so. We're just gonna like tap our nails against right, the microphone. Right, exactly, exactly. I'm gonna crunch some tortilla chips while talking about Mary <laughs> Riley. Um, listeners, I hope that works for people. That was a gambit that I wanted to take. You are not watching this podcast. You're listening to this podcast. I want you all to know that when Joe leaned in and whispered his 60-second plot description as he was a genius to do, uh, king of comedy, Joseph Reed, um, my visual experience, he was leaning into his microphone and the camera, and it was very Blair Witch. I'm so scared. (laughs) I want to say sorry to my mom and my dad. It was very, it was Blair Witch. It, again, spooky season. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, where can I, like, yeah, like. <laughs> He's I'm sobbing. So I can see the snot dripping out of his nose. <laughs> can you imagine if IMAX was around the time of Blair Witch and they would have put Blair Witch in IMAX and we would have seen Heather Donahue's oh IMAX my God. snot? Heather Donahue, who's changed her name and is like a hemp farmer now or something like that, I have read. She's which like, like on the cover of Weed magazines. And blessings. Things. Just blessings. Um, we got to figure out one of these days how to capture video and put that on our Twitter. And because um, uh, that would have been. I bet if we ask Gavin, how do you do that? And I know. Give us yeah. technical assistance again. More, more technical like, expertise. This is how you Gavin do it. Yes. And we'll be like, we're stupid. Explain it again. <laughs> We're um, dumb bitches, please explain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so should we start with Julia, as we often do? We've talked about her quite a bit. This is, all right, we should mention at this point, we forgot to do the six-timers quiz when we did Julia mm-hmm. Roberts last mm-hmm. time. The last one Sorry. was Notting Hill, so it was in the middle of our EW series, so there was a lot going on. And forgive us... The Notting Hill episode, that was almost the Mary Riley episode, because right. it, was it was a the, spring movie preview cover. It was, And it was a, the listener's choice, right? Mary yes. Riley got beat out by Notting Hill. <laughs> and a lot of listeners were really mad online that it wasn't Mary Riley, because they thought that the true Garys were not showing up. 
And there were two Julia movies in that EW series, sort of by happenstance. And so I think that also was part of it, where all of a sudden she went from four to six and we just missed it. And we were uh, made aware of this. And so we made sure that by the time we got to her seventh movie, which is this, we have uh, fulfilled the prophecy and Mary Riley is back. Um, And it's almost like we've been doing this so long, we forget how many episodes we've done. (laughs) So let's talk about the Julia of it all. And then we'll do the seven timers quiz how about that how about we do that i love it okay um like we said this is julia roberts at uh an ebb of her career and this maybe is like the low point before she rebounds and um i'm gonna bring up the filmography in a second because um Obviously, the Oscar nominations for Steel Magnolias and Pretty Woman happened in 1989 and 1990. She's making money with Sleeping with the Enemy. Um, And then she leaves Kiefer Sutherland at the altar, reportedly because she had a fling with Jason Patrick, who was Kiefer's friend, um, and her friend. They were all sort of part of that sort of like flatliners tendril universe or whatever jason patrick who i don't believe is in flatliners he's but not conceivably is in flatliners but that's the thing is like they were all sort of like uh sort of connected to each other and i think when so she's subjected to a wave of bad publicity there and i think as a result certain movies that are good movies uh to quote milosh foreman um <laughs> don't get like i think the pelican brief is not appreciated as much as it could be could have been because we were in the midst of this kind of Julia Roberts bad press cycle. But then there were legitimately um, bad movies. I Love Trouble was sort of notorious for her and Nick Nolte not getting along on the set of that film. And then it comes out and nobody likes it. Mary Riley comes out and Siskel and Ebert liked it, but mostly nobody liked it. Michael Collins comes right after Mary Riley and it's like two Irish accents in a row, and the public really rejected that. Michael Collins. And I think she's just the and in that movie, right? Yeah, I, it's not a big role. It's not a big role. Michael Collins got one Oscar nomination, so we can't do it for this podcast. But that was a big. I believe cinematography. Michael Collins was from what that was a Warner Brothers movie. So like that was part of the big 96 wave of big studio Oscar fair that didn't happen. Michael Collins and the Crucible and uh, some other big ones. And that sort of uh, paved the way for the big indie Miramax revolution of that year. She's also that same year in Everyone Says I Love You, which is a musical, which I still think we should do for this podcast at some point i want to i know nobody likes woody allen but like there's can... a billion people in it a billion people who have no business being in a musical so like <laughs> but that's like the point of that movie three yeah. movies in 1996 where she's like accent accent singing and it's like chance 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 and the public kind of rejects all of them everyone says i love you is decently reviewed but like it doesn't really do anything and so 96 she's sort of at the bottom and then as i said 97 with my best friend's wedding and conspiracy theory that's the bounce back and stepmom and notting hill and runaway bride it keeps going up and then aaron brockovich it's just like bam right at the top and at that point the career still has its you know sort of like uh it's still sort of like moving all over the map, but I think once she wins the Oscar for Aaron Brockovich, she's like 
fuck with me. Like, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like, I'm getting married. I got kids. I'm on Oprah every other day. And, like, I'm going to make Full Frontal. You know what I mean? I'm going to make Closer. Closer is the kind of movie that I feel like would have been toxic for her if it had come during her, like, 90s slump or whatever. Yeah. But, like... At that point, people would have been unfair to that movie. People still were unfair to that movie, but like yeah. in a real way. Yeah. Well, even like she has like flops, like duplicity flops. It shouldn't have, but it did. But like, it's not like it did anything to her career at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like she just sort of like keeps on trucking along. Larry Crown, kind of the same way. Um, Mirror, Mirror, Money Monster. Like she's allowed to be in movies at this point that don't do well. And. The press still feels like it still does feel like there's a degree of the press trying to be like Julia Roberts come back with like every third movie mm-hmm. and like it just it feels less convincing every time to the point where like Ticket to Paradise is sort of being sold as like Julia Roberts rom-com again and mm-hmm. it's like it, we're recording this the weekend it opens and it's not doing well so it's not, but I still want to see it. And I listen. Ol Parker uh, has people my don't really like it. People I've I seen thought some people. Like I've seen some people who like it. I have. I've. I've seen a, a range of responses to it. So, um, but yeah. So, by and large, people didn't love Mary Riley as a Julia Roberts movie. Siskel and Ebert uh, uh, accepted and. Um, to the degree to which people thought this movie, and again, it opened in February. It's not like it was like a huge investment on Columbia Pictures' part to like. Well, it probably would have been a Christmas release if the studio took a look at the movie and was like, "This is good. We're going to push this." But this is what I mean. Yeah, because so like, I I I couldn't find it, but I thought I had read for some of our other. And maybe it was with the EW thing that the movie was originally envisioned as like a fall Christmas movie. That makes sense. Um, right. Cause it would have been in what it was in the holiday preview. Is that what the deal was? What, no, what... it was in a spring preview. Okay. But... That's what, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll talk about the freers of it all. Cause I really think that's where the Oscar buzz happened. But before we do, we should do the Julia Roberts seven timers quiz. Um, <laughs> Super sized. It's going to be harder. You have seven movies to choose from. So uh, just to remind our listeners, um, Gary's old and new. Whenever we reach the usually sixth movie for a specific performer on this podcast, we I devise a quiz to give to Chris about the six movies that we have covered from that performer on this podcast. In this case, it is seven. For Julia Roberts, it is... Mona Lisa Smile, which was our very, very first episode, way, way back in the Paleolithic era, uh, followed by Robert Altman's Pret-a-Porter, um, uh, Stepmom. More re- there was a big gap between Pret-a-Porter was our seventieth episode. We didn't do another Julia until Stepmom at one fifty-eight, and then That's like the floodgates kind of opened. Uh, Money Monster was after that. Then the Pelican Brief, Notting Hill, and now Mary Ryan. And that's seven. So, Chris, are you ready? Do you have your answer bank in front of you? I do. You're good to go. Okay. So, of those seven movies, which one do you think was the longest? Pelican Brief? The Pelican Brief at 144 minutes. Yes, very good. Which one was the shortest? Mary Riley? Not Mary Riley. 
Oh, Money Monster, because Money Monster is like 90 minutes. Money Monster is a slick 98 minutes. Yes, absolutely. All right. Which had the highest domestic box office total? Stepmom. No, but that was very good. Notting Hill. Notting Hill was 116 million. I believe Stepmom was 98 domestic. Oh. Um, both of them quite good. Which was the lowest domestic box office? Mary Riley. Mary Riley, yes. Uh, Pret-a-Porter. Wow, even lower than Pret-a-Porter. Pret-a-Porter wow. made like twice what Mary Riley made. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Different, uh, not, you can't even say different time. They were only a couple years apart. Um, so anyway, which one had the highest Rotten Tomato score? Notting Hill. Notting Hill at 83%. Do you want to take a guess as to what was the second highest of this group? Pelican Brief? No, Pelican Brief is rotten, right? Uh-huh. That's that's wild. Uh, Stepmom. No. <laughs> is it Pret-a-Porter? It's not Pret-a-Porter. Is it Money Monster? Money Monster at 59% is better reviewed as per Rotten Tomatoes, asterisk, 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 than The Pelican Brief. Yikes. What? What the fuck? <laughs> what are we um, talking about? What, what are, are we, we doing, doing here? What are we doing here? Okay. Uh, which was the lowest Rotten Tomato score? Mary Riley. No. Ooh. Is it Mona Lisa Smile? It is not. I guess then it's Pret-a-Porter. Pret-a-Porter was not well liked. 24% on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, but that's close to Mary Riley. It is. Mary Riley was uh, 26. 26%. Yes, 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 yes. So, yes. All right. Which three of these movies were distributed by studios outside the Sony umbrella? Okay, so not Mona Lisa Smile, not Stepmom, Notting Hill is Universal, Pelican Brief is Warner Brothers, Money Monster is Universal. Money Monster is not Universal. Money Monster is Sony. Oh, it is Sony. Okay. Um, I guess it's Pret-a-Porter then, but that's... Pret-a-Porter is Miramax. Yes. All right. Uh, but yes, you got it right with Pelican Brief was Warner, Notting Hill is Universal. You are way better at that stuff than I am. I am very good with years. You are very good with studios, uh, I will say. Um... Which movie had a score by John Williams? Hmm. That is... Stepmom? Stepmom. Yes, very good. Which one was nominated for the MTV Movie Award for Most Desirable Male? (laughs) Pelican Brief. Pelican Brief, Denzel Washington. Correct. Yes. Which was the only one to not have been released in either May or December? Mary Riley. Mary Riley. Which were the two in May? The two in May are Money Monster and Notting Hill. Yes, correct. And then which two were released exactly on Christmas Day? Stepmom. Yes. And not Mona Lisa Smile because that opened opposite Lord of the Rings Pelican Brief. Not Pelican Brief. Okay. Um, Pret-a-Porter. Pret-a-Porter, Christmas Day. <laughs> Let's go and all watch Pret-a-Porter with the family. On you take Christmas. your grandma, your aunts, your weird uncle. <laughs> exactly. All right. Which two were directed by directors of Harry Potter movies? Uh, Mona Lisa Smile. That's Mike Newell. Yep. And uh, Chris Columbus did Stepmom. Very good. Yes. Which of these films features Tori Amos on the soundtrack? 
Yeah, you were going to ask that fucking question. Um, Conceivably any of them, but I think it's Mona Lisa Smile. It is Mona Lisa Smile. She's in it. She shows up on screen in that movie. Of course. Which of these movies features 98 Degrees on the soundtrack? Stepmom. Uh, No. Notting Hill. Notting Hill. Actually, let me double check that and make sure. I meant to write that down, and then I didn't. But I'm pretty sure that I am right. Yep, I am right. Okay. Um, uh, which of these films features Salt and Peppa on the soundtrack? Pret-a-Porter. Pret-a-Porter. Yes. Which three of these movies feature stars of the movie Elizabeth Town? Oh, okay. Um, Mona Lisa Smile has Kirsten Dunst. Yep. Um, mm, one of them has to have Alec Baldwin. Um, okay, Alec Baldwin, Susan, Susan's and Stepmom. Yep. Judy Greer. Hmm, Judy Greer is not in any of these. Orlando Bloom, I don't think, is in any of these. Who else is in Elizabeth Town? Schneider. And. Uh, I must be forgetting someone. I'm just going to say Pret-a-Porter because there's a million people. It's not. You were on the right track at the beginning. Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Is Alec Baldwin in Money Monster? No, he's in Notting Hill, if you recall. He's... That's right. He's her asshole... Boyfriend. Famo boyfriend. Yes, 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 yes. Which two movies feature stars of The World According to Garp? Um, so that's Glenn Close, Mary Riley. Yes. Um, is Robin Williams in Pret a Porter? Um, he's not. I will just tell you, he's not. Uh, and um, Lithgow. Lith. It's got to be Lithgow in one of these. Lithgow's in Pelican Brief. Lithgow's uh, yeah. Denzel's boss, Denzel's editor in the Pelican Brief. Right. Yes. Which two movies feature stars of the hours? Mm, that's a lot of people. Um, there's Meryl. There's Tony Collette. There's Julianne. There's Nicole. None of these people are in those, though. <laughs> um, Michael Gambon isn't. No. Um, Ed Harris. Stephen Delane, the child, Claire Danes, Claire. Back up, back up, back up, back up, back up, back up. The child? Nope, back up. Stephen Delane? Nope, back up. Um, Oscar nominee for the hours. Ed Harris. Ed Harris is in Stepmom. Yes. All right, that's Um, one. And then the rest of these million people. Jeff Daniel, maybe Jeff Daniels? No. You Allison may Janney. not have caught this person. Um, in the hours or in the movie? In the movie, in the other movie that she's in. Oh, so but it she, is an actress. Not she's that, that a fave. She's a fave of ours in the hours, even though she has a very small role. Oh, Eileen Atkins. Eileen Atkins is in... No? Nope. No, nope, not Eileen My Atkins. God. Smaller... Smaller, smaller than Eileen Atkins. Less famous for sure. Is it um uh 
It's the maid. The cook. Yes. Yes. God, what's her? Um, it escapes me right now. What's her name? Not you didn't really catch her. Really. Okay, Linda Bassett, who plays Nellie the cook, Nellie. is Mary Riley's mother in Mary Riley. I didn't catch her in this. Yeah. All right. Besides Mary Riley, which sure. is the only one of these films wherein Julia Roberts does not co-star with an Oscar winner? Uh, Mary Riley is one of... Uh, you said there's only one. One besides Mary Riley. It's not Mona Lisa's Smile because Marsha's there. Mm-hmm. Pret-a-Porter has... Uh, Tim Robbins. Like, she has to share the screen with this person. Yes. It's got to be Notting Hill. It is Notting Hill. Yes. No Oscar winners in Notting Hill. All right. Only counting acting winners and excluding Julia Roberts herself, how many Oscar winners are in these seven movies? Oh, my God. Um, uh, Burn in hell, sir. Um, (laughs) All right. We said Marsha Gay... Yes. Susan. Yes. Not Ed Harris. Um, I'm going to skip Pret-a-Porte for a minute. George Clooney in Money Monster. Mm-hmm. Denzel in Pelican Brief. Do I mm-hmm. count him twice? No, it's in distinct uh, actors. Wait, why would oh. you count him twice? Because he has two Oscars. Oh, no, 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 no. It's just distinct performers. None for Notting Hill none for mary riley that's four without getting to pret-a-porte right pret-a-porte has um uh, it has well okay it has tim robbins we mentioned tim robbins forrest whitaker um sophia that's three Mm mm-hmm there's got to be more than three in that movie. It's about there remembering how many more. people are in there. There, huh? are three, there are three more. You are missing three more in Pret-a-Porte. Okay. Um, you got what? Loren, Robbins, uh-huh. and Forrest Whitaker. Yes. You are missing... Um, Kim Basinger, who's great yes. in Pret-a-Porte. <laughs> yes. Hell of a lot better than the movie she won for. Yes. Um, so there's two more. You Is are there missing... a musician who won a song Oscar? No, it's just acting. It's just acting. acting. Okay. One is a cameo in Pret-a-Porte. Cher. Yes. One is not a cameo, but it's a supporting actress winner. Um. Kind of an interesting supporting actress winner. Okay. It's a supporting actress winner... Before or after Pret-a-Porte? Before. In the 80s? Yes. Okay. Um, trying to think of who this could be. Linda Hunt. Linda Hunt. Very good. Well yes. done, Chris. All right. Which of these films did Entertainment Weekly's Lisa Schwartzbaum say was, quote, a reduction of big, vital 50s issues into a no-carb pudding of ideas by writers redacted, directed as if by a Martian landed at a Seven Sisters college by redacted? (laughs) We fucking love Lisa. Um, It is Mona Lisa Smile. Mona Lisa Smile. Like, what a piece of... uh, of, uh, Oh, God, I love a Lisa Schwartzbaum pan. 
Which film did Andrew O'Hear at Salon say was, quote, a stodgy, moribund plotter loaded with stock characters that wouldn't have felt edgy in 1983 and has about the same contemporary urgency as your average late-night rerun of CSI New York? Money Monster. Money Monster. That, yes. Of which film did Kenneth Turan of the Los Angeles Times say, sluggish and interminable, redacted, makes good on little of its potential to be disturbing and none of its chance to be emotionally involving? Mary Riley. Mary Riley. Very good, Chris. Very good. Good job on the Julia Roberts seven timers quiz. We did it finally. All right. That was maybe the most difficult one that we've had in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had fun with it, though. All right. Um, I think the Stephen Frears, and uh, dare I say even the Stephen Frears, Christopher Hampton of it all, is probably 90% of the reason why this movie would have had any kind of Oscar buzz. Because Dangerous Liaisons in 1988 was a, I wrote this down, how many total Oscar nominations did it get? Seven-time Oscar nominee. Uh, wins the screenplay award in addition to, I want to say, costumes and one other one, um, but wins Christopher Hampton the Oscar for adapted screenplay. Adapting his own play, right? Uh, I believe. Yes, which was then... But then the play, isn't it also based on a novel? The yeah, play yeah. is based on a novel, um, uh, the French pronunciation of which I am not going to attempt. Um, uh, Stephen Frears, though, throughout his career, and I sort of jotted all of this down because it's really interesting, like a more robust Oscar player than I think people realize, because people tend to think of Stephen Frears, he's not really an auteur, he doesn't have this like great visual stamp, this great visual flair. You don't go to a movie being like, I'm going to the Freers. It's going to like knock me on my ass, right? <laughs> but we both skipped the Freers at TIFF too. We did. At this point. Um over the years I've though. Seen it since. Uh 1971 his his first film, it's called Gumshoe. It gets a BAFTA nom for Albert Finney. I've never seen it. Um it sounds interesting. He doesn't make another feature. He does a lot of television after that. Doesn't make another feature until 1984 with a movie called The Hit, which gets a BAFTA nomination for like best newcomer for Tim Roth. Um My Beautiful Andrette in 1985, which is a tremendous movie, um a big launching pad for Daniel Day-Lewis. Um Daniel Day-Lewis gets New York Film Critics Circle and National Board of Review for best supporting actor for that and a Room with a View sort of looped in together. Um, that also gets an Oscar nomination for screenplay. Uh, 1987 uh, is a movie that I have not seen that I really want to prick up your ears, which is a uh, 80s queer film, gets BAFTA oh, nominations yeah, for too. Gary Oldman. It's Gary Oldman and Alfred Molina play lovers in that film. Uh, BAFTA nominations for Oldman and Vanessa Redgrave. And then 1988 is Dangerous Liaisons. Like I said, seven Oscar nominations. Um, It's his first acting nominations. The first of, he's directed eight separate acting nominations across, only one actress repeats. So seven women, eight performances have gotten not Oscar nominations for performance for a Stephen Frears movie, which I would say is pretty good. Like, yeah, that's like kind of like Mike, Nich- Mike Nichols level of like good for actresses, right? Where mm-hmm. um, it's close and Pfeiffer in dangerous liaisons. Then his next movie, the grifters 
gets four Oscar nominations. He's snubbed from a Best Director nomination for Dangerous Liaisons, even though that gets a Best Picture nomination. Then for The Grifters, he gets the Lone Director nomination there. Grifters is not a Best Picture nominee, but he's nominated for Best Director, which, like, makeup nomination, perhaps. Um, (laughs) The same thing that happened to Spielberg. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It happened to Spielberg a couple of times, actually. No, Um, but the first nomination is for picture, but no director, and then flip-flops. Yes, then uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Or no, Close Encounters. No, that's Close Encounters. Yes, 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 you're right. Um, Raiders, he's... Raiders is both picture and director. Then Color Purple is picture, no director. And then he's not nominated again until Schindler's List, I'm pretty sure. I think... Yeah. No, E.T. We're missing E.T. Yes, E.T. was uh, between... Both. Yes, E.T. was also both. Yes. Anyway, Angelica Houston and Annette Bening, both nominated for The Grifters. 1992 is Hero, a movie that we should do at some point, because I think that's an interesting movie that had more Oscar attention than I Mm -hmm. think we remember. Um, 96 is Mary Riley. 98 is a movie called The High-Low Country that I've heard of, but I've never seen. But... That gets a National Board of Review Breakthrough Award for Billy Crudup. And you know how I love Billy Crudup, so I really should see that movie. You know how we love Billy Crudup. Um, 2000 High Fidelity, which gets some Golden Globe nominations and an uh, interesting amount of attention for Jack Black in the supporting actor conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, probably doesn't come particularly close to a nomination, but like, is in the conversation. That's also a screenplay nominee at the Oscars, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, I don't think High Fidelity is a nominee. Okay, then we should do that. Because I um, think it's been on our list before. Okay. 2003, screenplay nomination for Dirty Pretty Things, for Stephen Knight writing that screenplay. Um, 2005, Mrs. Henderson Presents, Oscar nomination for Judy Dench. 2006, The Queen, which is another Best Picture nomination, another Best Director, so his second picture, his second director nomination. Helen Mirren wins the Oscar for Best Actress. It's his first, it's his only time he's directed anybody to an Oscar win. Six nominations in total for The Queen. Um, Then, sort of a dip with like 2009 michelle pfeiffer and sheree doesn't really go anywhere 2010 it's the Gemma arterton movie tamara drew which i've never seen never um, seen either 2012 lay the favorite which i've also never seen the rebecca hall um card like mm-hmm. uh, a gambling movie but then 2013 is philomena Back in the Best Picture race, like his third Best Picture nominee, Judy Dench gets nominated for Best Actress. Four Oscar nominations in total, and I feel like it was on the cusp of maybe, maybe getting even more than that. Like, it was a really mm-hmm. big, late-game push for Philomena. Philomania. Um, 2015 was the Lance Armstrong movie, The Program, with Ben Foster, that Katie Rich and I saw together at TIFF, and I think nobody else ever saw that movie. Um, well, because, like, that movie had big expectations on it, but that is a big festival bomb. Big festival bomb. It didn't bomb. come out until the next year. Um, but that next year, Florence Foster Jenkins, which is a surprisingly robust awards season player. Meryl gets a nomination dubiously but also like came very close to a nomination for hugh grant um simon helberg got a golden globe nomination for it and also coming close in 2017 victoria and abdul which judy dench comes very very close to getting another nomination for playing queen victoria and then this year you mentioned earlier he had a movie at tiff called the lost king that i didn't see and you didn't see but like i saw a couple people saw it and seemed to think it was pretty cute so i've seen it since 
How is it? It's I I well I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it because of oh it hasn't opened. Gotcha. Uh, it hasn't opened. It's it's definitely a movie that's gonna open in the early spring. <laughs> but we like movies that don't listen. We need movies to open in the early spring. Like we I need thought, there movies. was a vague QAnon vibe about this movie. Oh. I won't lie, Ooh. and I, okay. I won't say anymore. I won't say anymore. Oh, is this one of those things where I have to care about whether people are royalists or not? Because here's what I'm going to tell you. No. I could give a shit whether somebody's a royalist or not. No. Like, that is outside it's, of my sphere th- of It's the story of uh, it, this woman is trying to find the grave of Richard III and re, like, uh, reconstitute his reputation. And it's like, it's like yeah. really, he wasn't that evil. It was a whole story manipulated by sure. the family. And, like, Shakespeare has had so much to do with the reputation of Richard III, but none of it's true. And I was like, this isn't the intention, but this feels a little QAnon to me. In a way but, that, like, Anonymous, the Roland Emmerich Anonymous, always also feels maybe like, why are we doing a conspiracy about Shakespeare? <laughs> like, what's going on? What's happening here? Um, so, how do we feel about Stephen Frears in general? Like, I've seen some people who sort of, like, dismiss him as a hack, and I don't think that's entirely fair. I think he is part of a a strata of directors that I like that we have, which is sort of adaptable to... We talked about Roger Michel when we did the Notting Hill episode. Sort of, like, adaptable to the project, doesn't really have a ton of auteur stamp, but does enough good work in good movies that I really appreciate him being there. Well, there's kind of a shagginess, like, punk-ish, not, like, quite punk, but, like, adjacent to, like, early stuff like My Beautiful Laundrette. And you see it in something like Dangerous Liaisons, which is, like, kind of a straightforward bodice-ripper costume drama, but it has way more edge to it than that. That clearly, I think, as a director, he brought something to that material in mm-hmm. the way that, you know, he positions these performances, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Dangerous Liaisons, because it's probably the most widely beloved of his whole filmography, has, yeah. like, positioned him for some of these, you know, more crummy in my opinion uh like costume dramas sure like victoria and abdul um but i don't know i think he makes really watchable movies i mean yeah. like i've i've defended mrs henderson presents before not only because my darling bob hoskins is in it right. um but it's like an entertaining movie i don't like the queen right. i think that that is wallpaper um but I think, like, Philomene is a better movie than I think it got credit for, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of, like, it was kind of positioned, it was, like, it was the Weinstein movie favorite, it was the Judy right. Dench is gonna get another Oscar nomination favorite, she's as playing a kindly old woman. As their eyes about it, like, I was charmed by that movie. I, I think, think it's a good a movie. movie. I think Cherie is mostly boring, but pretty sexy at times. I haven't seen it. Um, Dirty Pretty Things is grimy and interesting and i remember liking that movie high fidelity is a good adaptation of that book i thought um what else i think my beautiful laundrette as you said is great i'm excited to see mm-hmm. i want to maybe I'm gonna do a little mini freers thing once we're done doing these uh 
uh, screen drafts movies, but like I would do Prick Up Your Ears and High Low Country in the same day. Like that would be an interesting. You say this as feature. if we don't have a whole stack of movies to watch. For well, that's what I said. I said month. after. I said after the screen oh, okay, drafts okay. thing. After uh, that major project is done. No, maybe it'll be like my like Christmas vacation though. I'll watch. I'll watch some Freers. Who knows. Um, I like my beautiful laundrette. I had some like kind of reservation. I do think it's semi dated, but then there's also stuff that's super interesting at the same time. Yeah. So you've seen it, right? That would yes, be one I saw it. Oh, uh, I was going to say, I'd be interested ago. to see what you think of that. But yeah, no, I and that's another movie that's like kind of really sexy. You wouldn't think of Stephen Frears as a guy who's like that's a that's a filmmaker who can churn out some real sexy material and like. Like the vibe in my beautiful Andrette is like very uh can be like very intensely alluring, I think. I don't know. I mean, I do think Mary Riley could have had an element of that if it wasn't, you know, Tommy Wiseau as uh Dr. Chuckle and Mr. Hyde. When he transforms between the two of them, like one of them has a full mustache that goes away. It does. And then the other one is Can we also like just talk Fabio about Harlequin romance novel cover? The actual the whole movie's leading up to this transformation scene. And you know, like we all know the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So we all have an expectation in our head of we're going to see a transformation scene because the movie is very sort of ostentatiously keeping it from us, right? We're like, right. there's behind closed doors and you see him behind the shadow in a window and you hear screaming and it's all very like, so you know, just from the language of the film that like we're leading up to seeing it. And I at least was like, this is 1996. This is a costume drama. This is a Stephen Frears movie. None of this really screams great special effects to come you know what i mean (laughs) to me and it happens and i literally wrote down and i know you're not a harry potter person but i literally wrote down it's it's entirely that i said professor quirrell looking i mean i'm sure that the like ps1 version of professor quirrell was better looking than this it was so it was so fun it's like john malkovich writhing on the floor and then they want it's like tiny vault tiny baby getting thrown into a cauldron Voldemort coming up out of his shoulder pushing out of his shoulder yeah like twice and that's it but like you do for a second see what very much looks like um a baby wrapped in flesh colored cellophane like pushing out of his chest (laughs) in like a way that like when people saw Malignant and like the twist in that movie and people sort of like hooted and hollered at the sort of cheesiness of it and that movie like invests in the cheesiness of that moment whereas like Mary Riley is playing it like a genuine shock and like it it looks deeply silly it it uh, it not only looks silly, and I think looks silly in a, on a CGI level that would have probably looked silly in '96, but it's also yeah wildly underwhelming. It's like 30 seconds of him squirming around, and then that's it. And it's like, oh, I guess he poisoned me. I want to look up the visual effects nominees in 1996. Uh, would well, it have you been? Look it up. I will also mention there's other issues with this ending because they shot multiple endings. They scripted even more. They clearly Mm -hmm. didn't know how to resolve this would-be romance horror 
you know, Mike Lee kitchen sink drama. (laughs) Okay, so three Best Visual Effects nominees that year. The winner was Independence Day, which, like... I mean... I think people now watch that movie and are like, oh, the visual effects are so bad. But, like, at the time... No, that was a huge leap. I forward. thought they were really good, and it was a huge, and it was a huge hit. And like at like the sight of those, and I know for as much as it's the reason why I will probably defend Roland Emmerich for through all of the nonsense that he'll do for the rest of his career, because like the sight of those ships hovering in over the major cities in the United States in that movie is legitimately awe-inspiring like you just like you look at it and it's just like you're 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 sold right like it looks very cool i would argue that when we envision the apocalypse which is something we unfortunately do quite a bit these days yes those images are so indelible that like it has shadowed our ideas of what the apocalypse will look like Uh you know yeah yes um, Our do you own watch... imagination is now derivative of ID4. Do you watch the new Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix? I know that you were tweeting about some type of water column thing, and I was like, I can't, I can't do this. There's a out. tremendous like, I... UFO episode in the new batch of Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. Is all I will say. It's <laughs> I was the second so episode of Unsolved the new Mysteries as a kid. Like it just feels like a basement door that I can't open. It feels like Barbarian, you know, the point where I'm like, no, I'm out of this house and I'm never returning. That's what new, new Unsolved Mysteries is to me. Well, most of the new Unsolved Mysteries is like Unsolved True Crime, which has its own appeal. And I think Unsolved Mysteries does, like, it is a show that every single time I see it, I'll text with my friend who watches it with me and will like just sort of, you know, go on for a while about what we think uh, was really going on. This episode, the UFO episode in the new season, was one of the f- few ones where I watch it and I'm like, oh, I'm creeped out and scared watching this. Like, it is. <laughs> but it also addresses this idea of, like, how recently, you know, some of this stuff is being declassified and now they're finally admitting that there are UFOs and whatever. And so, yeah, like, but it, like you said, like my vision of the aliens coming to find us is still very much in my head. Independence Day. Mm-hmm. So the other two nominees were Dragonheart, which was the um, dragon with the voice of Sean Connery movie uh-huh. with that piece of Randy Edelman score. I think it's Randy Edelman um, that you hear in all of those like inspirational like movie montages or whatever. Let go. I'll probably drop it in here because like it's so recognizable. And then the third nominee... Shawshank is very pure Michigan. <laughs> yes. Uh, the third nominee was Twister that year, which we, has been in the news. They're bringing it back. I am not all about reboots. I think we need to like let old IP die, but I will be very happy for a Twister sequel. Well, here's the thing about Twister, <laughs> is if you remember the movie, the original Twister was about Helen Hunt grows up to be a tornado chaser because in her childhood, 
a tornado killed her parents, and now she's hunting down that tornado and will, like, kill it if it's the last thing she does, basically. Like, that's the plot. It's like, Helen yeah. Hunt will extract her revenge on tornadoes for killing it's her parents. It's like a Death Wish revenge movie. And so, if the new rebooted Twister, then, is, like, Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton's kid, who, like, the tornado killed her dad, because we can't have Bill Paxton, because Bill Paxton sadly has passed away, and, like, maybe, like, Helen Hunt is the Lois Smith, and, you know, you cast somebody new as the young new generation tornado First chaser. Fucking dare you. You do not cast, you do not recast Lois Smith. The new Lois Smith will be Lois Smith. Lois Smith this can is, still I be will, there. I will fight you on this. We Lois can Smith have, has to return. We can have a Georgia Rule situation where it's three generations of tornado chasing women. That is Three fine. generations of Lois Smith. Yes. Well, can I also who, say. Who is our 20 something Lois Smith right now? Oh, that's a question. Caitlin Deaver? I was going to say, regardless, they're going to cast Caitlin Deaver. In they are going to cast Caitlin Which is great. She's I great. Hope, I hope that it is not just in the vein of Twister, because there is an element of, like, campy, this is so stupid that this is so stupid and silly that we're watching it. Twister has jokes about the cows flying by. If there are not cows flying through the sky in this movie, why will you be making a sequel it's to it? It's not so just that Twister has jokes about the cows flying by. Twister has the best joke about the cows flying by, which is Jamie Gertz on her little cell phone because she's a big city high maintenance lady. And she's just going, we got cows. It's one of the best. <laughs> like, it's so good. We got cows. But I also hope that Twister like goes full crazy. What the hell are we watching? I want the Ma version of Twister. Sure. I want, I want Twister to... Two, how how are we saying Twister two? Twister, Twister, <laughs> yeah, that's Not what it Twister. is. Like T W O, Twist Twister. Um, I want it to be about how you should believe women. I want it to be about the girl bossification Wait. of the storm chaser. So, like in the future, there are no tornadoes, and Helen Hunt is like. There were tornadoes and they were bad and you don't understand and they're coming back and everybody's like, crazy old Helen Hunt, you don't know what you're talking about. We don't believe you at all. And her daughter's the only one. She's like, mom, I believe you. I believe the t- tornadoes are coming back. And then they come back and nobody knows how to deal with them because we are in a society that has evolved past tornado preparedness. And, and and there's Helen Hunt as the Linda Hamilton in Terminator, in Terminator 2, of like, she was telling us all along, and they locked her up in an asylum because nobody believed her that tornadoes existed. That's what I want. Much as happened to Leatherface at the beginning of this year, <laughs> I want to see the Twisters get canceled. Um, <laughs> I want to see the cancellation of a Twister. I wow. want to see... I just want this movie to be so stupid. So I love that we, um, in this episode about Mary Riley, have a solid 10 on Twister. This is very good. Twister. 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 Coming to probably a streaming platform near you. Whatever. Um, Although, if Magic Mike 3 succeeds, perhaps legacy sequels can go to theaters. And... um, Maybe gay men will support that in a theater. Magic Mike 3. Because they know support their own all right john malkovich he was a two-time nominee by this point 
Yes. He was not a third time nominee. By, has he been nominated since in the I believe we talked about this in our Seabiscuit episode where he wears right. like a bunch of hats and uh, things. He does. Uh, weird bright colors. And like that was the whole campaign for Malkovich. It's like he wears yellow pants. Um, he's kind of, I mean, this is the other thing too, because not only did Stephen Frears not get nominated for Dangerous Liaisons, Malkovich doesn't get nominated for Dangerous Liaisons too. Right, right. Malkovich doesn't get shit for that movie, and he's also great in that movie. Um, Places in the Heart, he was playing a blind man in the line of fire. He's playing a villain. A really good villain. villain in this movie. He's kind of chewing the scenery, but it's a really good chewing the scenery performance and in the line of fire. Like that's a really good nomination. I really like that. And this movie I think is bad chewing the scenery. Shadow of the vampire. He's overshadowed by Willem Dafoe who gets the nomination in that. I'm trying to think of like what other things like, obviously the Oscar nomination that didn't happen for being John Malkovich is infuriating and puzzling in that, like, why would you not want to nominate? Why would you not want to have a cool nomination, like nominating John Malkovich for playing himself in a Spike Jones movie, in a movie that you liked enough to give Catherine Keener and Spike Jones nominee nominations for? So, like, yeah, but he never really got. I don't think he got nominations elsewhere, right? Like, I don't think he was nominated at SAG. I don't think he was nominated by the Globes or Hold, please. It um, was just a weird holdout. What I would have loved if he had been nominated is you would have added him to the stack of people who are nominated for playing Oscar nominees, but yes. uh, is himself playing it. You know, there, there's a lot of uh, uh, Kaufman esque. Uh, okay, players. so let's see. For being John Malkovich. He was a runner-up for Los Angeles Film Critics Association. He won the New York Film Critics Association for Best Supporting Actor. Um, Those are the big ones. Uh, Runner-up for Chicago. So yeah, it was mostly the Critics Awards. You're right that he didn't show up at like the Globes or SAG. It still feels like if... Awards if Oscar voters liked being John Malkovich enough to give it the nominations that it got, right. it feels silly. Like ninety nine, especially, it's not like I don't understand why they went for the nominees that they went for. Right, we're like Michael Caine, the kindly old man in Cider House Rules, which they clearly liked, and no matter what people say about Cider House Rules, Oscar voters liked it. And what are you going to do? Um. Michael Clark Duncan in The Green Mile, sort of the same thing. Like, if you like that movie, of course you're going to love Michael Clark Duncan in that movie. Um, I think the other nominees are more defensible, especially by, like, people in our demographic, right? Like, everybody loves Tom Cruise in Magnolia. Jude Law in Talented Mr. Ripley is incredible. And Haley Joel Osment, though he is the lead of The Sixth Sense, um, or a co-lead of The Sixth Sense, obviously, with Bruce Willis, um, I think is great in the sixth sense it's his second best performance and he's uh really tremendous so like it's a tough year to crack that lineup if you if you sort of posit that like oscar voters gonna oscar voter about stuff like cider house rules and green mile there's other like supporting actors that could have been in play for movies that they liked like the insiders of best picture nominee why christopher, christopher plummer nominated yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
which is even more infuriating than the Malkovich thing to me. Like Girl, he to Mike me is Wallace my winner is here. that year. <laughs> yeah. What? I just, rem- I just remembered the only for me joke of "Girl, Mike Wallace is here." <laughs> you idiot! You fucking dummy. Um. No. Yeah. Like ninety nine bounty of riches. Um, the 99 Oscars are sort of often talked about as being like a little bit of a booby prize at the end of the great year of 1999 because it the Oscar nominees are not as spectacular as the movie year itself. But those acting categories are pretty uniformly great, I think. More or less. I think you could probably quibble with a few things here, but like um, they're tough to crack. So like I get it. So what else has Malkovich done? since then that might have even like like burn after reading i could see a world in which like the cohen brothers weren't just coming off of uh no country for old men and thus burn after reading would have seemed less like a weird downshift into you know take the year off oscar voters you don't have to worry about this right. um because he's very funny in that movie um changeling I don't think is a very good movie, but obviously that got a nomination for Angelina Jolie secretariat. We've talked about on this podcast before. He definitely got some buzz for that. And then since then, like he does a lot of like bad action movies now. Yes, he does. And then like shows up in something like velvet buzzsaw, which is like a, weird movie and like cool and i'm glad he did it but like that movie disappeared into the netflix ether uh faster than almost any sort of like that movie i don't know i don't even know it's 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 People, weird to even talk about one of those movies nobody talks about starting the monday after it has premiered yeah on netflix um what does he have coming up he's definitely in like a de niro or morgan freeman old guys being dudes movie yeah that feels like it it would be a good fit oh he's in bird box speaking of netflix movies although that was not that did not disappear that one uh uh entered in the pop culture lexicon uh surprisingly so um yeah malkovich feels like that moment's kind of past I could like I could see a world in which like he gets an interesting late career performance and knocks it out and um I don't know. I don't know. He's an interesting case. He's a peculiar goddamn actor to watch him work mm-hmm. though. He's so odd in this movie. Do you think he's good in this movie? No. Okay. Good. I do want to understand the logic of someone assuming that he and Julia Roberts would have good romantic chemistry. Mm-hmm. Because that, to me, like regardless of if he was good, that is very strange to me. Yeah, especially because it's like it's Julia doing a voice and it's Malkovich doing a bit, and yeah, it's and and of... they're sort of at cross purposes. Like they're not both doing the same weird thing; they're doing different weird things. And Glenn Close is doing her own weird thing. And I think of the three of them, Glenn Close is probably the right the doing the right thing she's even doing though it's the right thing she said i will get those puppies um she's out of control in this movie she's, she's really so, really she, and i then, loved her in this movie i don't a, care any movie that ends with um glenn close's severed head like that's the end of her character's arc is like <laughs> tremendous so good let's let's get into the christopher hampton of it all before we get uh too much into the wrap-up i mean a man who has given us 
incredible adaptation, such as yes. Atonement and Dangerous Liaisons, and has also given us less than incredible ones. What was the thing recently that you hated Christopher Hampton for? Was that The Sun? The Sun. The right. Sun, which obviously he did the adaptation of The Father. Um, Florian right. Zell- Both of these are based on Florian Zeller's plays in, you know, conversation sort of with each other. Right. It's like, it, it truly, I made the joke of it, but like, I do feel like it's Christopher Hampson through the French text into some type of AI. <laughs> sure. And then the English text is like this. Everybody is talking like they're a textbook and not a person. Right. And it's real embarrassing. Um, <laughs> in theaters this fall. I will say the Oscar nomination for Atonement, I really like, of course. I love that movie. And I think he does a good job, although I never read that novel. But like, I think that movie is well-scripted and structured. I think a lot of people sort of make fun of it a little bit for an over-reliance on that structure, but, like, I'm fine with that. Um, he also did the adaptation of previous episode of Dangerous Method, which feels very much because it's, yeah. like, medicine doctors, uh lady who is uh maybe in love with the doctor, feels like the good version of this movie. Right. However, he also did another one of our recurring bits... He did the adaptation for Sunfuckers, also known as Adore. Adore, yes! <laughs> um, three in total partnerships with Stephen Frears, because he did uh, Dangerous Liaisons, he did Mary Riley, and then uh, he did Cherie. He did the script for Cherie as well. Um, what else is on the Christopher Hampton? You mentioned A Dangerous Method. Um, bad Company, but not the Roger Michelle Bad Company. Um Oh God! And it's the Anthony Hopkins, Chris Rock, Bad Company. Isn't that Roger Michelle? Am I wrong? Is it? Oh, I have no, no. I'm thinking of what's the one? I'm thinking of Changing Lanes, the Ben Affleck, (laughs) uh, Samuel Jackson. Um, That is Roger Michelle. Christopher Hampton did direct the poorly received Imagining Argentina with uh, Antonio (gasps) Banderas and Emma Thompson. Oh shit! Uh, Notoriously booed, I believe, at Venice. Um, actually kind of a lot of Emma Thompson, because he also did, um, write and direct, uh, Carrington, the, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, movie where she has the Vanessa Redgrave haircut from Atonement. Oh my God, it's all coming together. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, works a lot. Not not at a great moment with the son, but like he was Oscar nominated for the father only a few years ago. So like um he's also attached to the definitely gonna happen Sunset Boulevard movie that um just absolutely is gonna happen. The people um, who, okay, like A, I do kind of want Glenn Close to be able movies like this don't exist, but like movies like this, uh 101 Dalmatians even Stepford Wives, like, where Glenn Close gets to have fun with this, like, bullshit movie. I want it to happen. I, I want, want that, that movie to but, happen. Like, I don't understand the people who are hedging all their bets on Glenn Close getting an Oscar for this Sunset Boulevard movie. Sunset Boulevard is a terrible musical, and she deserves better than a terrible musical. I don't know the whole musical. Am I wrong to There's think... There's a reason. 
because it's bad music. But if I am I wrong to think that if as if we never said goodbye is a good song because I really think that's a yes, good song. Yes, I like, really like that song. And it, her performance of it is really great. A lot of really Andrew great. Lloyd Webber scores that are not like his best work. Yeah, are like there's maybe two songs in them yeah. that are good, and then okay. the rest of it is. I really material. like her performance of that song. I think she's very good. Anyway, um, a lot of Glenn Close talk in this episode, which I'm happy about. All right, um, Razzie nominations for Mary Riley. I like how you wrote in the document, lost in scare quotes. Uh, yes. Lost both of its Razzie nominations to Striptease, a movie I don't remember whether I've seen or not. I think I have, but I remember very little beyond, like, Burt Reynolds, like, kind of lubed up in a scene in a way that, like, <laughs> I don't love to remember. Um, I remember her and Ving Rhames, at least from the trailer, where they show up somewhere and they're like, what are your names? And they, I think they say they're George Bush and Barbara Bush. They do. Something. Yes, they do. Um, poor Jimmy Moore. God, speaking of actresses who were sort of put through the ringer in the mid-90s, yeah. um, Jimmy Moore... Uh, yeah, she wins the uh, worst actress away from Julia. And who directed Striptease? No, I gotta get into Andrew that. Bergman. Who directed what else? Let's see. Mama, let's research. Mama, let's research. Uh, also wrote one of the writers of Blazing Saddles. He directed It Could Happen to You, the lottery ticket movie. Sure. Honeymoon in Vegas, The Freshman, which is the Godfather. Wait, what about Blazing Saddles? He was one of the writers on it. Blazing Saddles has like 15 credited writers. Yes. Oh, he also directed a movie I think I brought up on Mike, Isn't She Great? That is his last. I think you did. Yeah. Okay. Um, Somebody, who was I talking to recently that watched that movie and was like, Chris, what the fuck is wrong with you? This movie is garbage. You also wrote um, that Mary Riley competed at the Berlin Film Festival with a lot of big movies from 1995. Yeah, it would have played Berlin. (laughs) Some shit must have been in the water because it has a lot of 95 Oscar contenders. So is it 95 movies playing in Berlin in 96? Is that the deal? Yes. So it plays Berlin as it's basically opening. And then a lot... It used to be that you would see a lot yes. of Oscar contenders playing Berlin in after, the, like during after they had opened in the states, but as they're in the Oscar race, well, especially when the Oscars them. would be held in late March, early April. Right. This is also how all of the three headliners of the hours won Best Actress that year, right? Because it opened in the states and then played Berlin. But it's a good lineup. If I'm in Berlin in '96, like I'm seeing Dead Man Walking, great movie. Sense and Sensibility, great movie. Get Shorty, great movie. The Ian McKellen Richard the Third, which I think is really good, and Twelve Monkeys, which I really like. And then, of course, top it all off with the Paul Mazursky bomb, Faithful, starring Cher, mm-hmm. which. Is one of the few shares that I've never seen, so I still probably should. I don't think it's super easy to get your hands on. I yeah, don't imagine it, doesn't, it would be. If you pull up the IMDb page, there's nothing streaming, and you can't even rent it on Amazon. Yeah. You have to... Share bought all the copies and uh, <laughs> locked them in a room somewhere. What's funny about this poster is, like, there's an actual... She's tied up to a chair yes. in pajamas, and yes. there there's a bullseye on her like a full target it's that her husband has hired a hitman to kill her right and chaz palmentary is the hitman is that the deal you know sure probably i think that's it um 
but the actual bullseye of the target that half of it surrounds her and half of it is in the middle looks like the logo to the department store target. So it's like <laughs> the most target ad you've ever seen. That's great. Um, I'm trying to go through my notes and see. Oh, back on the accent thing. I forgot to say with John Malkovich just sort of like brazenly declining to uh, use any kind of accent at all. And yet he pronounces laboratory laboratory, even though, and so, and does it in his just like flat American accent. It's so weird to hear um, that pronunciation that way. Um, Glenn Close saying, keep your wool on good line. <laughs> um, what else? Oh, okay. So Mary Riley comes back to Glenn Close's, Close's brothel to uh, because she's been summoned there because Mr. Hyde has done something bad. And she walks into the room and she's like, I'll show you what he did in the room. And she walks into the room and there's like blood everywhere, blood on the ceiling, blood everywhere. And then they cut to a shot of what looks like a giant rat that is bloody in such a way where I'm like... Did Mr. Hyde fuck that rat? Like, <laughs> because there's a disemboweled rat, and I thought that too. I was like, is the implication because there's a fucked a rat to death? Th- yes, and like, I don't want to know. And okay, um, there also is followed about the rats yet because she, uh, Mary Riley, is also afraid yes. of rats because her abusive father locked her in a closet with a rat. The rat was in a, rat bag, in a bag. So it's like, there's also the torture of she has to wait for the rat to eat its way out of the bag and then it's gonna like eat her. She has all these scars over her body, including her fucking neck yes. because they're from a rat biting her. I, I had just, I've been watching the screeners for the Guillermo del Toro produced uh, horror anthology on Netflix called Cabinet of Curiosities. And one of the episodes, which is by the director of Splice by Vincenzo Natale, and that episode, these are all like hour long horror shorts, um, is about this grave robber who keeps trying to rob graves, but the rats are getting to it first. And he say, ends up. It's about a grave robber who fucks a rat. <laughs> Well, he ends up in this cavern of rats, and it is so... It's so funny that you said, like, Mary Riley is, has a fear of rats, like, as opposed to, like, everybody else who's, like, super chill with rats. But, like... I'm, like I mean, I'm fine. I'm oh, not God. gonna be afraid of a rat. Chris, I'm I've been on you. enough public transit that a rat isn't gonna bother me. Absolutely I mean, I don't not. want one in my home. Absolutely not. So, rats are not my friend at this moment, or ever. Um... What else is going on? Did he fuck that giant rat? Oh, that's followed by Mary Riley then confronting Miss uh, Dr. Jekyll and saying the line, it felt like someone had been done to death in that room, which just feels graphic in a way that whatever. Yeah. Um, the scene where Mr. Hyde is sort of being very aggressively flirtatious with her and sort of comes up from behind her and puts his Grabs hand her boob. and her eyes bug out like she is in a Tex Avery cartoon. Like it is very <laughs> like, it's just like, <laughs> like it's, it's very unsubtle uh, acting. Uh, two thumbs up from Siskel and Ebert and uh, professor Quirrell looking ass. Like that's yes. Those are the end of my notes. So um, Mary Riley, that's, that's what I got. The accent I do feel like is something we should maybe leave on because Julia has never really done many of them and like for good reason, but like you can see the effort that she's doing to like, 
I don't know. I also felt like there was an effort to make her look plain. Like, we've talked about soft D-glams in yeah. a way that yeah. I was like, she is lit so horribly and washed yeah. out in this movie that just yeah. feels maybe not her fault, but, like, try-hardy in a way that, like, is not doing the movie any favors. Yeah. I don't know. I the agree. accent, though, I texted you last night knowing that it would torment you. I was like, <laughs> I don't know. I think Sersha's doing a good job in this movie. Did you see the things that I texted you before we started, by the way? I did. Um, I did. The Dave fan Bravo the fan credits. video of Mary Riley and Mr. Hyde set to Taylor Swift's Safe and Sound. <laughs> you can absolutely find any type of problematic romantic situation in a movie set to the most random Taylor Swift song. Guaranteed, no matter what the movie, yeah. whatever Taylor Swift song you're expecting, it will not be the one that is chosen. Also, I don't know whether this is a broader YouTube trend, but it's something that I found while I was looking up Mary Riley clips, is there are multiple clips of the end credits of Mary Riley from a television broadcast where, like, the credits are shoved to the side of the screen and you see, like, the network promos for stuff, which, like, there was one for AMC, there was one for, like, TCM or whatever. I don't know whether this is a broad YouTube trend or just somebody really liked Mary Riley and also television bumpers but so there's this one from when it aired on bravo in 2003 which is a really like crossroads of culture moment where it's like it's back when bravo still showed uh mostly movies and had these little like interstitials where it's like here's some tidbits about the movie followed exactly by a promo for the upcoming queer eye for the straight guy episode so it's just like oh culture was changing bravo was going from an arts network to a reality tv network and uh um discovering that its audience was gay men and that uh changed things forever should we move on to the imdb game yeah why not would you like to tell our lovely listeners what the IMDb game is? Yeah, but I'm not whispering because that made me hyperventilate last time. Um, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue, and if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That's, it. That's the IMDb game. Are yes. you giving or guessing first, sir? I'll guess first. All right. So we've talked a little bit about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde movies, uh, especially this era of Bram Stoker's Dracula, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, etc. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> what I didn't mention was a different Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde riff, also Razzie nominated in the 90s. Wait. Are you aware... That Sean Young. I was did just about to bring this up. <laughs> Dr. Jekyll and Ms. Hyde. I was just to bring this up. I was I like, was that Sean movie. Young in that it's movie? A piece of shit. <laughs> Boy, I do remember that. I remember that being a, a, a film, but I don't uh, remember. I don't think I ever saw it. But yes. For Dr. you, Jekyll I have chosen Sean Young. Okay, so Blade Runner, gotta be number one. Correct. Okay. I'm going to say with the recent popularity of the remake that Dune is on there. David Arrakis Lynch's is Dune. a desert planet. Dune. Okay. Um, where do we go from here with Sean Young? You know what? I don't know how much... Um, 
Oh, wait, what's that movie called? Um, God damn it. I can't remember what that movie's called now. Ugh. I'm going to skip Get it. Get there. Talk about it. Um, well, first, I'm going to guess Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Incorrect. Thank God it's mm. not there. Horribly offensive. Um, okay. No, it's the uh, Karina Longworth on her erotic 80s had the Kevin Costner movie that is called, and I keep the title that keeps bumping into my head is At Close Range, which I know is uh, the uh, Sean <laughs> That's Penn. That's Christopher Walken. Uh, Christopher Walken movie. It's. Um, it's not indecent proposal. It's um, it's not internal affairs. I'm like literally going like every erotic thriller that's sort of like around it. Uh, you're using too many big words. It's uh, you have it, but out, you're gonna get the title. It's out of something. It's no way out. It's no um, way out. Correct. There we go. No Kevin Costner posts his whole titty on that poster. <laughs> it is full boob on Maine. So that's that is on her. It's no way out. Yes. Okay. You have so, one wrong guess. You have one remaining title. Okay. It's I will eat my hat if it's Doctor Jekyll and Ms Hyde. That's not an actual promise. I'm not like doing a Matt Patches thing on here. I'm not gonna. Uh, uh, you're not gonna hold me to that. Um, but I will be very surprised if it's Doctor Jekyll and Ms Hyde. Um, no, there was another '80s one that she did. I feel like that was like a big one for her. Um, obviously it wasn't Batman Returns. She did not get the role of Catwoman in Batman Returns. Timmy did not give her the role. Um, wait. Is she in Stripes? Is that her? She is in Stripes. Are you guessing Stripes? Yes. Incorrect. Okay. Give me a year. Your year is 2017. Oh, fuck. Oh, is it uh, Blade Runner 2049? It's Blade Runner 2049. Where she's uh, uh, deep faked They didn't her will. use her. This is fucked up. Yeah, like, it is. I, I love that movie, but it it's is. It's the first time somebody has a, no, a movie and they're known for that they're not in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that is I unfortunate. Mean, maybe they use, do they use flashback footage in the movie? Like, I think they, they do. I think they the use original? they use photo, the footage from the original. But it's a deep fake. Like, I think that movie is just fine without her in it. I think. I think that's a great movie. I think that's the least essential part of it for me. But mileage may vary. Um, That's a really interesting uh, known for, Chris. Very good choice. All right. Um, I went in Dr. Jekyll and Ms. Hyde as the connective tissue, you fucking maniac. (laughs) Um, Who else was in that movie? Hold on. Um, Uh, Not Steven. Who's Jekyll? I imagine she's the Ms. Hyde, so who's Jekyll? Uh, oh, Tim Daly from Wings. Tim Daly. <laughs> sure. Sure. Harvey Firestein's in that movie. Steven Tobolowski. Look at that. That's great. Good for everybody. Good for everybody in that. Polly Bergen. Listen. Um, all right. So for you, I went into the Stephen Frears filmography. His very first movie, which is called uh, Gumshoe, where uh, the main character is a comedian who tries to be a private eye. Uh, the star of that movie, who was BAFTA nominated, was Albert Finney. Albert Finney. Albert Finney. Tom Jones. Incorrect, actually. Wow. Even though it won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. 
Not Tom Jones. Aaron Brockovich. They're called boobs, Ed. Yes, Aaron Brockovich. <laughs> Do they teach beauty queens how to apologize? Cause because you, you suck at it. Suck at it. Um, great. just great. This is going to be difficult, I fear. Yeah. Because, okay, what older movies might be in there? How long did he live? Because I don't think there were a ton of post Aaron Brockovich performances, but like he only IMDb died a few years gonna, ago. I will say, yeah, IMDb is yeah. going to favor the past twenty years. Um, Albert Finney was also in. Did he do another Soderbergh? I feel like he did. What did I just watch with Albert Finney? It's a good question. This is going to be so embarrassing. Um, is he in like a Michael Mann movie? I know that there's, I'm like, I can think of a Criterion cover in my mm-hmm. head. That's Albert Finney. He's had a he really never got nominated movie. after Aaron Brockovich. Right. He, I don't think he had many nominations before Aaron Brockovich that aren't Tom Jones. There was also... He was nominated for five Oscars in his career. Oh, really? Never mind. Yeah. One of which um, is a movie that's on his known for. Uh, it's not like Lion in Winter, but there's a movie like Lion in Winter. There's... Um, what else would he have been nominated for? Now I'm thinking of Peter Firth. Um <laughs> they're so similar peter this finch. is bad i'm gonna need more hints peter finch you're thinking of network right yeah, yeah. peter finch not peter peter firth. firth was the one in equus um okay so hints we're starting the hints early the one that was oscar nominated has been remade recently okay. um uh it won he was nominated for an oscar it won best supporting actress that year and it was recently remade. Recently not remade. Side, uh, and supporting actress winner, not West Side Story, obviously. And the remake got a sequel. Oh, weird. Yeah. And it's like an iconic character. Oh. And not a... Um, it's not Alfie, that's Mike O'Kane. Right. Remade um, by a... British actor-director who, like, made, remade that movie, then made that movie sequel, and then had a real big Oscar success. Oh, wow. Um, is it... And that all happened within the last five years. In the last five years? Okay, so people making remakes and then having big Oscar success. It's not um, Guillermo del Toro. The remake is after... I don't um, like the remake, and nobody liked the remake sequel, I don't think. I could imagine. The it's sequel got, Arthur. like, really lost in COVID stuff, and also one of the stars of it got, like, really, really, really bad press as it was coming out. Ezra Miller. No. But um, you're not on the wrong track. Okay, so somebody who did bad things. Um, and whose movies are getting, like, buried as a result. Army Hammer. Yeah. Um, Army Hammer 
Ooh, uh, what was he in? Oh, uh, oh, he's uh, Oscar nominated for Murder on the Orient Express. I'm an idiot. There you go. Murder ah, on the Orient Express. Ah, Murder on the Orient ah, Express. Okay. So your other two movies, one is 2003, one is 1970. So. Okay, so 2003 is post Aaron Brockovich. And I feel like it might be a Soderbergh. It's not. that he, Huh? He's, it's not. He's only done three Soderberghs. Two of which were Brockovich and Traffic in the same year. And then he did an uncredited sort of cameo in Ocean's 12. Um, it's a okay. major director, though. Um, and, like, similar to the Soderbergh crew, right? Eh, not really. He's sort of distinct. It's a movie okay. we would be able... We Is would, it like Ridley Scott? It's not. It's a movie we should be able to do for this podcast, but it has that one little nagging Oscar nomination. Like a cinematography nomination, a score. I believe nomination. it is score. From 2003. Okay, 2003 movies. Let me get there. Um, of movies that were close. Is it? Is it like a political thriller movie? No, this is a, this is a director with a very sort of like specifically specific vibe that every time he steps out of this vibe, people are like, oh, maybe Oscar nomination. Oh, um, okay. We've done one of his films on this podcast before, where our guest is a very recent guest who came back to do something else. Oh, Sofia Coppola? Nope. No. Um. Oh, Jorge, who is going to be pissed at me for not knowing Poirot. Um, so, not Miguel Arteta. What was Jorge's first movie? Oh, Big Eyes. Tim Burton. It is Big Eyes. It's not Big Eyes. He's not. No, it's, bi- he's... it's Big Fish. It's Big it's Fish. Big Fish. Yes. Big <sighs> Fish, Big Eyes, Big Everything. Just that's the Tim Burton. Uh, and right. then we're back to 1970. 1970 is the one I was like, oh, he's going to have trouble with it. So if you've had trouble with the other two, I'm concerned. I okay. couldn't remember that he's in Big Fish and I forgot. If Hercule Poirot was an iconic character, this is like an even more iconic character. Like one of the like top. 20 most well-known characters in literature film whatever like this Uh um this was a musical adaptation i believe of this story which is like from a novel from one of like the great writers of all history shakespeare Um, no but like later than shakespeare one of the Brontes. No, I think it's later than the Brontes. Maybe not that much later. I don't know time. Not an know. American writer, a British writer. No, a British writer. Henry James. No. Like, way more, like, oft-adapted. Oh. Um... Adapted and readapted. And this particular product uh, is, like, adapted eight bajillion times by every possible genre and it's seasonal wow okay so it's christmas oh scrooge he did a scrooge movie he did i it's... could that's like the most that's so fucking i have not i have not had a worse performance ever in the imdb scrooge was nominated for four oscars for nineteen. yeah i've seen that scrooge i believe it i've never seen it so albert finney's five oscar nominations are for Aaron Brockovich, for he famously never won. Aaron Brockovich, Murder on the Orient Express, 
also nominated for Tom Jones, as you mentioned. The one you were thinking of that's not the Lion in Winter, I think, was maybe The Dresser. Yeah. Um, And then he was nominated for the 1984 movie Under the Volcano, the John Huston movie Under the sure. Volcano, where he plays, um, I think it's some sort of like international intrigue kind of a thing. Um I've never seen it, but I've always been uh, uh, curious to see it. Interesting career. Albert Finney. Last movie he ever made? Skyfall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well done. That was Mary Riley. (laughs) Joe, we finally did it. We We, did it. We did the Mary Riley episode. I hope listeners enjoyed it. Uh, even if you didn't, that is our episode. <laughs> if you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. Please also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. We should have some fun, uh, new, exciting things happening. Uh, so definitely uh, be on the lookout for that. Joe, tell our listeners uh, where they can find more of you. Yeah, I'm on Twitter and letterboxed at Joe Reed. Reed spelled R-E-I-D. And I am on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Medius for their technical technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So uh, turn back into your not-evil alter ego and write us a nice review to combat the bad review written by your evil alter ego. That's all for this week, and we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. When you became Dr. Jekyll, you knew you had to hide. Yeah, when you became Dr. Jekyll, you knew you had to hide. Well, now I know, well, now I know. All the pain that was in your mind is still inside your soul.